5, Matthew 18, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, they do have a common denominator, and that is uh, our interaction with those people is different. Is different, yeah, absolutely. He uses the word here, avoidance. Right. Yeah, I don't know that that's a great word, but it is. it conveys the idea. Now, obviously, that's not... That's not the whole story, but I think the, the, the concept is things are different. That should be obvious. He goes ahead to say uh, at the top of the next page, and we should be careful about passing judgment on people concerning their decisions regarding it. And I think that is true too, but I think we need to be open to folks questioning our decisions. Not in a judgmental way, right. but challenging are you really behaving differently that that should then encourage that person to want to return to the Lord? Or are you accepting them in their sin and now they're comfortable with it? So it's sticky, as you said. Right. But I think we've got scriptural guidance as we look across the examples that it's different. Avoidance maybe is a, a, a term to think about in that regard. I need to I need to I need to be careful passing judgment on how others approach that but if I had a concern I should be willing to say something to that other Christian and they should be willing to hear that when it's you know out of love mm -hmm. okay yeah when it gets to family that gets real tough doesn't it yeah yeah um. Because we've talked about the idea of, well, we're going to start maybe melding a bunch of these things together. Um, but when a, when a family member, and I've, of course I've got this in my immediate family, right? When a family member says, I no longer want to be considered a member of the church. I'm not sure what I believe. This is, and for... Some of you don't know, but most of you know I'm talking about my son, obviously. Um, but um, uh, I'm not sure what I believe. Um, but the church is the church is not for me, and he left. And we basically said, if that's the case, then you know you've got to be on your own because the people that live in this house worship God the way that we understand that God is to be worshipped. Um, so that instantly became different. But then the question is, if a person, and it kind of goes back to this thing that Ann talked about too, if a person leaves before any discipline is invoked from, and I'm talking about this idea of withdrawal, right? And keep in mind, that's a man that's a man-made biblical word. It's not found in the Bible. Withdrawing from, withdrawing fellowship. But I think we understand what that concept is, right? This idea of this avoidance or this withdrawing a portion of a relationship that would indicate to this person that things are not right. And we can't, you can't have this same relationship until you make things right with God. Um, but the question is, and, and I know that in one of the classes you know, we talked about maybe we should rethink about the term withdrawing a fellowship. If a person leaves... What is there for us to withdraw from? Right? Withdrawal. I'm not saying that something shouldn't be done, but I'm saying this idea of withdrawing. And I know that um, when I was growing up, 
the vast majority, if not everybody that, I, well, I would say everybody that I can remember that was withdrawn from were people that had stopped coming to church and had been coming to church for, for months. And the more I look back on that, it's like, wow, what we did had no effect on them whatsoever. No effect. Because they had already made that decision. They had already withdrawn themselves from us. So, you know, what, what should have been done? Should have they been, you know, noted or marked or, you know, just that they were a sinning brother or sister and that, you know, we, based on biblical principles, that we need to alter our relationship with them in an effort to try to bring them back. But this idea of withdrawing from that fellowship from that particular standpoint may not be the best terminology to use. Um, because number one, we talked about can we really withdraw fellowship if we were once in fellowship? Because there's always going to be a form of fellowship that's there, although not in the term maybe that we understand it in our English word. Um, when we're talking about um, um, have everybody having put on Christ. Um, but this idea of withdrawing it, if they've already withdrawn it, then what can we withdraw from them? Gary. I'm just thinking as we're talking here, it goes back to something we said earlier in the class that it, it really um, <clears throat> puts a focus on the need for the fellowship to have it in the beginning. I'm glad you're going there. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's almost like a cancer. You know, they say if you catch cancer early enough, there's a, you have a better chance of surviving. It's the young girl that you mentioned that was just baptized because she was pressured into it. If other people in the congregation knew the way she was thinking and felt they may have been able to talk with her, encourage her, study with her, help her help her to come to understand what it means to be a Christian, to know God, and to appreciate who he is for who he is. And, and you, you can't help but have a heart to reciprocate that love that's been right. given to us. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it really... It, it is like a cancer in the church. And, right. And when it gets to the point where the people are just leaving, it's it's like there's there's no saving them at that point. The yeah. Cancer's too far gone. Right. Yeah. I I I I can't disagree with that, <coughs> Debbie. I was going to say, I, I think he addresses this also in um, question five, but that the congregation needs to understand where things stand, and maybe. Before you get to that point, the congregation can be led to understand that this person needs encouragement and prayers so that people can be reaching out so that it doesn't have to, to go to that right. point. Um, but I think in the end, it's important that the congregation understands what's Absolutely. going on instead of them yeah. just kind of coming in and then not showing up and kind of disappearing and all of a sudden <clears throat> they're off the directory and everybody kind of wonders. Right. Everybody shouldn't be wondering what happens, yeah. but, you know, it does happen, yeah. especially in larger groups. It does. It does. And I will say, I, I, and there again, I'm not trying to pat the elders on the back to make their heads bigger, but um, I think the elders, or heads big, not bigger. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't word that properly, did I? Sorry, John. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Um, but the elders have done a good job here at Avon in situations like that where they have brought before the congregation that situation and said, we've got an issue here. We've got something that we're, we're begging the members to reach out to this person, right, and to, to do what they can. Um, 
and um, I think it's been received very well. And I think instead of them just getting up and saying, here's the decision, right? It then also lets everybody else know, majority of people probably do, but maybe they don't know how far, it, how far it's gone, but lets everybody else know, hey, here's a real problem, a real situation that we need to be addressing and as the congregation, right? So that when or if disciplinary, congregational discipline is required, then it won't come as a shock and a surprise to people and people won't be throwing up their hands and saying, if I'd only known, I'd, you know, no. Call on every brother and sister within the group and say, there's someone, there's someone hurting, there's someone that's lost, we need to go out and find them and try to bring them back. You know, said what we, what we, if they've quit coming to church, what, and I know in the past here, when somebody has not, you know, they're not coming anymore, mm -hmm. that the elders have written a letter mm -hmm. and sent it to them saying, hey, this is what is happening. Right. Yep. You know, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. And then, and then I'll, they'll share it with the congregation too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I wonder in this kind of scenario if the story of the prodigal son um, has any principles to kind of guide us in terms of I think if someone you know just ups and leaves and says you know see you later um, I think we all want to do something right we're motivated to action um, but I think what's interesting in the story of the prodigal son is that the father doesn't actually do anything to, right. to make the prodigal son come back yeah. the prodigal son goes out and the father lets him and he says that he came to his senses and he remembers, oh, my father, his house is just this beacon of warmth and love and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And then he voluntarily comes back and then as soon as he comes back, his father embraces him. Right. And so I wonder sometimes if, even though we want to act, sometimes maybe the best thing we can do is just to wait um, and in the meantime, make sure that they know that this is a place of fellowship and love. Um, and that they're welcome if they want to come back and, you know, within the bounds of fellowship right. and things like that. No, no, I think that's a great point. And we, we did talk about in the class earlier um, in the quarter, we did talk about the prodigal son. Um, and I can't help but think of you know, the situation in 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul says you need to deliver this person to Satan, right? Where that's kind of what the father did. He allowed his son to go and to live in the world, to live in, 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 in the world that Satan controls um, so that he could come to his senses. And I think that, and maybe that's kind of where I was, what I was trying to get at, that you know, if a person leaves on their own and all of a sudden then we or the congregation or whatever sends a letter and says, you know, we're officially withdrawing from you, um, there again, number one, what good does that do? And does that then almost convey to that person, we're kicking you out of the church? Because I... I, I, I would tend to think that if they would just if they just left on their own, they really don't understand the concept of discipline in the first place from a from a uh, biblical standpoint in the church, and maybe that idea of letting the congregation know, but yet not addressing that person if they've already gone their own way and and are no longer here, um, maybe like the prodigal son, that's that's what it would take, and then they could think in the back of their minds just like you said, wow, when I was there. Things weren't like this. Things weren't going badly like like they are now for me, right? Yeah, and I think I think that's that's a good good point and something good to consider as well. It's a good application, Mom. Um, <clears throat> you said that um, somebody said to you was this person 
really a, a Christian. Well, you know, Peter said to repent and be baptized. And if she had just gone through the motions of being baptized, no repentance in her heart, it kind of does beg the question. She didn't do full obedience. So. Yeah, and I think the hard part is is that we can't know her heart at that very moment, right? Well, from what she said. Right, all we can go by is what she said. Right, right. you're right. We yeah. don't know at yeah. that time. Yeah. But from what she had said, it kind of sounds like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that there was no repentance right. there, and it, and and it could very well be. Um, that's why I think it's really tough because in that moment she did profess that, and at that moment the congregation believed that, but now she's saying that she never did, and only then in in my opinion only God can judge that heart and know if that was really the case. And if that is the case, I mean, it does beg that question, but I think what we have to go on is, is what we witnessed and saw at the beginning. Um, not that this is just the way that, you know, in my mind, it, this could be as simple as, well, if I say this, then some of these other things that they want to do to me don't really apply. There again, I'm not saying this, that's the case, but I'm saying there's no way for us to, to know that. So I don't know, yeah, I don't know if it really would make a difference as to how we should treat that person. I think we, it's, we still have a responsibility to her. I, I, oh, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Right, yeah. right, right. Yep, to admonish and to try to win back. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. So are you, are you trying to get at that there might be a difference in how to treat someone that if they never were a Christian? As opposed to someone who has become a Christian. Well, that's the only but that's they, the only biblical the discipline that we see. Whether or not they really believed it. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was no, I'm not saying that there should be a difference. I'm I'm just asking what do we do in a situation like that? Yeah, yeah, because that's a real world situation with my niece, right? She's saying I was never really a Christian. I just did it so people would get off my back to be to be baptized. My wife's brother the same way. He was doing drugs and all sorts of other things too at the same time, but and so therefore others have acted like well because he he didn't really believe this he just did it to appease us that therefore we can just continue on acting like he never was a Christian and just we can just don't have don't have to change anything we just keeping as part of the family we keep doing the same things we've been doing and it's kind of like it's not the same it's not the, it's not the same uh, as if like associates from work and right you know that we might be trying to draw them to christ but you know i know i know that's like i said and let me ask you this question too there are situations maybe where there are things that we are required to do biblically and maybe some things that the bible doesn't say we have to do but maybe we should from a disciplinary standpoint. And maybe that's where these questionable things fall into play. Like we know, the Bible tells us, if there's a Christian that's involved and discipline is required, then it's our responsibility to, to participate in that discipline. But if there's a question like this, then the question is, the Bible probably doesn't address it, but the principles of what the discipline is trying to do might make some sense. So would some form, not sort of a public discipline, but some form of 
treating this person a little differently, my niece, your brother-in-law, is that what you said? Um, treating them differently, um, even though maybe, you know, I can't tell if, if the Bible application is 100% true or, or 100% correct or not, maybe individually I should still opt to do that as a way to try to bring them back, to let them know that my relationship with Christ is so important that we just can't have that same relationship um, without that, that yeah. common denominator. I don't well, it's, know. It's like Katrina deals with her nephews differently and his wife differently. <coughs> She's not, she never was a believer. So she does deal with them differently than she does with her brother. Mm-hmm. And probably not the same as close a relationship, right? So when we do, we, we were not going to see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is kind of softens his position in opposition to God. And so, like, we've we've kind of met that measure a little bit. We've still seen him, but any time that we're around them, we, we, we talk to him about his relationship with God. Yeah. You know, making sure that that, we're not just here to just have fun. Right. And like, this, this is part of that. Right. Um, and so it's, maybe that's not the thing to do. Others may not agree with that either. But uh, it's trying to navigate those waters of how we handle with someone, you know, in, in whatever depth of regress that they are, or if they're progressing back to God. How do you handle that coming back, too? Yeah. It's kind of like the husband and wife scenario as well, right? I mean, there's probably going to be some, some difference in a relationship between a husband and a wife, but yet... There are still certain things that God expects a husband and a wife, you know, um, t- to do for and with each other. And so um, you can't just say, well, you know, I'm going to live in the basement. You're going to live upstairs and we're never going to talk. So. Do we make it, though, a focus to, to talk to this person continually? Um, if, if you think that it's okay to still have some interaction with them, do you is that is that a main focus of your interactions with them about their relationship with God? Um, like I feel like that's kind of it's kind of the important thing, right? Right. You know, and if if you don't talk about the elephant in the room, like um, right, like you're kind of avoiding that. Yeah, it needs to be yeah focused on. Yeah, no, I I think you're right, John. You know, if they were battling cancer. That would probably be one of the first things you'd talk to them about. Right. How's your yeah. struggle with cancer going? Right? Yeah. And this is so much more impactful and from a you know, from the eternal perspective. And why why right. why shy away from that? Right. Right. And obviously there are ways that we can, you know, be a witness for Christ to them without becoming what they might term as a Bible beater, right? Um, you know, just every time we see him saying, you know, you've got to change this or you're going to hell type thing. Um, but I know that, like with Cameron, um, you know, obviously our relationship is totally different than a normal parent-son relationship. But um, we have communication with him, not, you know, not daily or even weekly necessarily, um, but every two or three weeks we probably have a have a phone conversation with him. But we... And, and he knows our position, and he knows what we believe, and we have talked to him about it. And we, at one time, we asked him, we said, "Your friends probably hate us, don't they, for what we've done?" And he said, "No." He said, "You would, you'd be surprised. My friends 
are in awe of you for the way that you stand up for your faith. And that just really kind of blew us away. And he also said, and, and when, whenever we talk, we also always bring up things that are happening within the group here and, and, and giving God credit for things that are happening in our lives and things like that. Say, you know, God has blessed us so much that we were able to do this. You can't believe, you know, and just constantly bringing up God and what, what good God is doing in, in, in our lives and in other people's lives. So, um, you know, I think that it's important. When I was young, I used to think that if I met a person that had been withdrawn from, hey, Tony. You ready to come back to church? You know you're living in sin, right? Yeah, I do. Now. Okay, see ya. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah, you're back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was young, that's that's kind of the, and there again, it, it was my problem. But that was my mindset that the only communication I was to have with this person was to preach to them. And I think that the as as I've grown and as probably as the the situation has presented itself in my life now. I realize that um, I don't. When I look at the principles, when I look at the principles, and I think that's what it is. When I look at the principle, the principles are: my goal is to bring this person back. They know where I stand. They know I don't believe in in his, or we don't believe in his lifestyle. He knows that that'll never change, and he knows that he's not welcome to come home and participate in that lifestyle around us. Um, but yet. So, so there's really no reason for me to preach that to him day in and day out because he knows that. And he's even told us, I know where you stand. I know. I know, I know, I know you'll never change. You know, at one point he, he made the comment and, and we just, back to him, it's like, we're not, the one, we're not the one that changed. We have never changed. We have been the same from day one. And he, he goes, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. You have not. So, you know, as we can continue to witness what God has done for us with us, through us, with you, through you, and we can relay that to him, those people that he knows, um, it, has, it has an impact. It has an impact. Yes? I'm sorry, your first name? I'm Elijah. Elijah. Okay, Elijah. Uh, I, I think the impulse that we have to be so focused on bringing these people back that once we're part of the church and have since left is a good one. And even though maybe every interaction doesn't have to be... Um, preaching the gospel directly on the nose. Um, it, it might also kind of inform how we treat other non-believers. Like how much of our business with non-believers in general is just matter of fact, day-to-day business, treating them like nothing's wrong, when maybe we should take a lesson from how we treat these other people. They're just as lost now. That's a great um, point. Evangelistic yeah. Mindset. yeah, no, I think that's a great point. That's a great point. But it's, it's kind of, you don't have to lay out the Bible, you're all sinners, you're going to hell. I mean, that was your point here. Right. But there, there's ways to, Absolutely. to interject yeah. God yeah. that sometimes is a lot more subtle, but not making it so subtle that not even anyone would notice. Right. But that that you can always keep... It's just dropping a hint, dropping a hint, dropping a hint. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? So, Anne, to answer your question, you're going to have to figure it out on your own. <laughs> it depends on the situation at times, too. Yeah. Yeah. Picking up cues from an individual. I've got a friend that uh, their daughter had left over 20 years ago. 
and just this past year she's returned to the Lord and the entire time they cut off communication with her the entire time but she made no indication that she wanted to change that and it wasn't until like just this past year like drastic changes in her life took place but how do you deal with that differently if someone kind of deep this is what we've been doing but I don't know if it's always the right thing right. We, we question it every time you know if someone makes a step towards God you go okay well I'll I'll make step a, a little make bit. step toward yeah, you yeah. I, I don't know if that's the way or um, if there's if there's different ways to handle that I mean but even with with her family you know we're her family my family all all sorts of relationships like that are broken but um, knowing how to handle each situation differently because uh, some we, we just had to cut off we, we can't have a relationship with anymore but others you know we're they've opened up back towards God a little bit so we've opened up to them a little bit more but we're still interjecting God right in these relationships in these conversations so yeah Michael I appreciate Tony uh, pointing that out that there there is a time when the Bible says that we need to let them be handed over to Satan, as it were. Um, and whenever I doubt and say, you know what, maybe if I just hold on a little bit longer, if I continue to reach out, maybe that's going to work, I end up trusting my own opinion over what God's saying for me to do. And, uh, and if I trust what the scriptures say about about that kind of situation, then it, there will be stories like that where their communication has been cut off. There 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 is a distance uh, there, and and so it's good to to keep that in mind as well. That there there is a time to uh, to have communication that is focused on God, but there's also a time to to have separation. Yeah, um, I yeah okay. I'm not disagreeing with you, um, but I think that I also don't feel, and I'm not sure how this plays into your your thought here. I also feel that we still have a responsibility to, and maybe you're saying that that is this action, but we still have this responsibility to try to re, try to uh, restore restore one, try to admonish one, right? Um, and so maybe maybe that that total cutting off of that person. And there again, the more we know people, the more we know what, from that standpoint, is that going to be something that will be a way to admonish, <coughs> to, you know, to restore them as well. Well, I had a cousin that uh, he was okay getting switches. Uh, he'd go pick his own. And he would, he would take a lick any day of the week. But you sit him in the corner, and that was the end of it. I mean, he would just lose his mind. <laughs> yeah. Just knowing knowing how that – so if you discipline, if you have one-size-fits-all discipline for everybody, you know, no matter the case, you just cut off, cut off communication with this person. It's what we do for everybody. Some people, that that's what needs to occur. Right. But others that that may not be what needs to occur, and it's just knowing the difference. And and I can't tell you that I have any wisdom uh, from uh, how we've dealt with things that 
this is better, this is, everybody should do this. It's just trying to figure that out though of what what is working with this person, what, what's going to affect them the most in that. Yeah. You, think about, you think about somebody you don't see often and you think, oh, I'm, I'm just going to take that person off my holiday gift card uh, mailing, you know, no more to do with them. What, what a great opportunity to put a note letting them know you still care about them, you love them, yeah. you want them to return to the Lord. You know, if you do nothing else, they know at least once a year. You're still thinking of Right. Yeah. 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 There again, it kind of goes back to that. I go back to what Gary said through the beginning with this idea of fellowship. It's not an end all, but the idea of do we truly have biblical fellowship with each other like the Bible tells us we should have? There are people that can still pull the wool over our eyes. I know we all probably know situations like that. But very few will slip through the cracks unnoticed if we have the fellowship that God wants us to have with each other. And I think that is so key. And That's why we spent probably a couple weeks talking about this idea of fellowship and what fellowship really was and how important it was. Yeah. What other questions? Last 15 minutes. Well, and that's what is so mind-boggling when you do have, when you, when you believe yeah. that that fellowship exists, and then folks continue to make the decision, I'm giving all of that up to follow my own way. Yeah. You, you understand how it's more possible when you look at the situation and say, yeah, there probably wasn't a closeness there that there could have been, and and that that does happen, uh, unfortunately. Right. Doesn't make it right, but when when somebody is in seemingly very close fellowship, it's just boggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when you, yeah, that's when you begin to wonder: Is there something else going on? Right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, going back to kind of where we started uh, brought something to mind we were talking about somebody that basically leaves the church, withdraws themselves and is there anything we need to do made me think of you know some real life examples I have seen of people who have done that and then years later read their obituary and it says they were a member of the you know pick the road church of christ <laughs> and they may not have been dark in the doors in 25 or 30 years right and so it does strike me that there probably needs to be something that would say this person is not really a part of this group mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, yeah. Call it what you may. Right. Uh, I mean, historically that's been called withdrawal of fellowship. I, I tend to agree that may not be a very good term for it, but in, in some way letting that be. Yeah. Known. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, because if they felt compelled to ask to become a member of a group, right, and then they just leave without saying anything, basically, then I think the group has, there's a com- compelling reason that the group should acknowledge that they are no longer considered a member of the group. Their name has been purged from the roles of this local congregation, or you know, whatever you want to call it. Right. And if people leave because they say, you know, I no longer believe in God, it certainly needs to be said that this person has fallen away from Christ, and if someone has fallen away from Christ and they're not part of a bo- the body of Christ, the large, the universal body of Christ, so if they're not part of the body of Christ, they've declared themselves not part of the body of Christ, well then they're certainly not going to be part of our local group of Christians. Right. So all of yeah, all of that needs to be said publicly so people know where that person stands. Um, you know, we don't need to call that withdrawing fellowship, but we need to, you know, announce that this person has left God and yeah. is in sin and we're horribly heartbroken about it. Yeah. yeah. I've been studying Ezekiel recently, and part of his uh, his book, he was supposed to be this watchman uh, for Israel, and it says in there, like, as the watchman, you have a responsibility to let the people know when calamity is coming. Hmm. And if you don't say anything, that's on that's partially on you. Right. They're going to perish, and it's going to be on you. But if you warn them and they don't listen, then that's on them. On them. And so I think that concept applies here. Like if we we know somebody's in sin, we we see this calamity coming. We do have a responsibility to let them know about that. And if we don't tell them, then that's on us as well. Um, so we we need to be watchful of those things. Yeah, we need to be watchmen, don't we? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We just. A week ago, a week and a half ago, we just went through Ezekiel in our daily Bible reading, right? And I was, yeah, that I was, I specifically, that, that really struck home with me for some reason reading it this time. It's like, wow. So, he actually had a responsibility if he didn't warn them, and, and part of their calamity would fall on him. Yeah. What else? So how do we deal with discipline when maybe people from outside the church hear about it? And I think he addressed this in his first question when he said, is there, is there room for discipline in, in a pluralistic society that we have now, right? Basically, society believes there's no right, no wrong. So Claire, whatever you believe, Kate, if you don't, that's okay. Because you're both right. Now, two plus two is five. Two plus two is four. You're both right. That's fine. So, how do we, and he talked about this in one of his chapters, you know, that, that there's, some people have a fear of discipline because, especially if it's done publicly in, in an assembly when visitors might be present, right? Um, should we do that or should we not do that? And, you know, should we make that a private thing just for the members here? And one of his arguments was, is that, he has seen it where visitors have been 
and a congregation that were from the community and it actually had a positive effect on them because it told them, told the visitors, here is a church that wants or is striving to do things the way the Bible says to do them, not just appease everybody. So what are your thoughts on that? What do you think on how something like that should be handled? Does that make sense? It's a way of sharing the holiness of God. Okay. That, that uh, how great he is and how God mourns and we mourn as well. And uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to show uh, visitors uh, that it's not about them needing to come back to us, but them needing to come back to God. Okay. Yeah. Dave? Yeah, I think it's very important to proclaim there is right and wrong. And you're right, that's not very popular today, but the scriptures are really very plain in that. Uh, and so to do anything that muddies those waters, I think, is to do a disservice to, you know, to God. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I say, I, my thought is it would, it would accomplish three things. One of three things, probably. Either the people would say, wow, what a group. I need to find out more about these people and, and, and what they believe in and what they're doing. Number two, wow, I can't believe these people would do something like that. I don't ever want to be a part of that group. Or, that's interesting. I've never seen this before. I need to find out more about this. And so, points one, two, and three are all valid. We hope points one and three are, are what would happen. But we can't guarantee that somebody's not going to come from the uh, come from society and not even give the truth a chance. We can't control that, right? That's you know goes back to the idea of who gives the increase. God gives the increase. Our job is to present the truth, and God gives the increase. And if the truth sends people running, as it will some, that's on them. If we're the watchman, right, Mark? If we're the wa- Mark, right? Yes. If we're the watchmen and we trumpet the, the, um, the calamity that could be coming and they tend to run away from it and, and not listen to it, that's on them. That's on them. Well, when I, when I was looking at this question last week, um, the hard part about it is I don't necessarily agree with society on the whole, and not everybody probably agrees with me on this, but truth is, the difficulty with truth is that it's being only perceived by fallible humans. So there is absolute truth. Uh, I can't get beyond that, uh, or less than that. But the fact that some people wear glasses and other people don't, and some people are colorblind and some people aren't, just that our perception is that's all I've got. It's kind of like deriding, letting conscience be your guide. Oh, well, consciences, you know, those can be uh, fallible. Yeah, they can be. And it's just trying to best train that to be as uh, always working and trying and approaching closer and closer to what it seems the truth is leading us to. And how can you do that unless you're continually always trying to approach to that? 
and to just say that anything and everything goes uh, is not is 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 actually the antithesis it is. to being honest truth seekers. Is that we're all we're not perfect. We don't always see it. We may be we may find ourselves to be wrong about this situation with this person. New evidence may come to light that may change that, and maybe we should repent of it at that point. But to just say that, well, just I throw up my hands and just I can't I can't come to a conclusion about anything. That's not true. You know, I can make a judgment call of when I should stop when the light turns yellow, and sometimes I'm right, or most of the time I feel like I'm right, but there's been plenty of times I've been wrong. But to just to, to not even attempt to try to approach truth. And so when we're dealing with people and what you might uh, disfellowship a person for, what you might not, or how you might handle that, again, still comes back to fallible individuals trying to make their best best attempt at it as opposed to no attempt. Because how can you expect anyone to ever come to the truth if you're not even attempting to get there? Or that... We can even try to talk to one another. I mean, at that point, it's just like this is, we're just spinning our wheels. We might as well not even try yeah. if, that, if that's our approach. Right. And so the whole point here is that this is always driving, trying to get closer and closer to God, and there are people that are falling off this, the, the bandwagon to get to God. And what, what else would you do but just go, oh, well, you know, They'll get to God some other way. No, they won't. They won't. Or at least that's where I'm at. That's what I truly believe. Unless you can prove something else other to me. Right. But um, even in a pluralistic society, even in infallible human beings, if there's nothing we're driving toward, then you might as well just stop. It's just rather pointless. Yeah. yeah. Why are we even here? Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, for a or from a... Um, a spiritual standpoint, Christians can even fall into that if we're not careful. And maybe it's because we think there's no way that I could ever know all truth. And if I can't know all truth, then, then I shouldn't do anything. Then I shouldn't do anything. No. And obviously, then that means that we're don't get out of we're forgetting about the mercy and the grace of God, right? No. Because we'll never know all truth until we're with God in heaven. Then we'll know all truth. And so, um, as long as we are focusing and and on that road and on that 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 goal of trying to trying to get there, then where I fall short, where I veer from you, and you go this way a little bit, and I go this way, but we're still on that same path, but you're on the left side, and I'm on the right side of that same path, you know, God's grace and mercy is going to help gonna help take care of that, and then, you know. He asked us to seek. That's right. And that he'll be the one who gives it to us to find. That's right. Very good. Well, thank you, everyone. I really appreciate that. Um, Craig will, um, on Sunday, begin the review of uh, this past quarter. Thank you.